Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Martin Willis, your host. And this show just happens to land on Tuesday and it happens to land on the first on the day of the first congressional hearing we've had in 50 years on the UFO topic. I hope uh, you streamed it this morning. Anyone that missed it and would still like to see it, it's uh, it's actually on my homepage, podcastufo.com, in the show notes for this particular show itself. Uh, tonight, I'm real excited. Uh, we have Ralph Blumenthal. He was uh, a co-writer of a piece that announced this in the New York Times uh, last week. And we're going to be talking about the hearing today. And then I'm uh, going to continue talking uh, on the hearing as well with our main guest, Sean Cahill. I'm real excited to have him on. And uh, so this should be a, a really good show. I hope uh, I hope you enjoy it. And uh, right off the bat, I want to say, uh, you know, I, I, I have so many emails since this came out and a lot of emails to return. I will get to that. Uh, I will try to answer every email. Um, I thought the hearing was really interesting. First of all, I do just a couple of things I have to get out of the way. Uh, this week's blog is a UFO captured by children in Japan. That's by Charles Lear. Again, his book is coming out in a couple of weeks. He'll be on the show. He's been blogging for us for, I think, about three years. Um, he may correct me. It may be longer than that. But it's always a, a pleasure to get his blogs. He's very well researched, and his book should be just great. So um, today at 9 a.m. Eastern, um, there was a whole bunch of people watching that I was getting texts from people and all that. It was really exciting. I mean, I had one uh, really uh, close person to me uh, text me and says said that it felt like the moon landing, you know, in 1969. It was that uh, impactful. Um, you know, it was an hour and a half. Like I said, um, there was a lot of things packed in it. But keep in mind, uh, for those of you out there who are saying, well, there was really nothing to it and all that. Um, that this is just the beginning. So I think it's very exciting. And I think a lot of important things were talked about. And for that, I'm going to bring in our first guest, um, the one and only Ralph Blumenthal. Ralph, hey, welcome. Martin, how are you doing? Thank you Good. for having me on. You bet. And uh, thanks for the article. You uh, alerted everyone. I mean, I don't, you know, I'm sure the, the buzz would have gotten out there. But uh but that article really helped, and, and and that's how I found out about it. You know, people were contacting me. But anyway, um, so how did you did you just find out early and just jump on this thing? And and because it wasn't too much notice about this. Well, we had noticed Leslie and I, Leslie Kane. Uh, we knew about it for some weeks. We've been tracking this. We were hoping it, it wouldn't leak. <laughs> uh, it was yeah. our exclusive in the Times. Um, and uh, luckily it held. We were very careful. We didn't do a lot of, uh, uh, you know, noisy reporting around it uh, beforehand, mm -hmm. but we did break the story. We knew that uh, this hearing was coming up. We thought it was a big deal. The Times agreed. I mean, it's the first hearing in, in um, 54 years uh, when the world was really very different. <laughs> yes. Um, so, um, uh, and, you know, it, it's interesting. You could You could complain that it didn't do this, it didn't do that, but uh, let's focus on what it did do, and we can talk about that. But I thought it was quite interesting. I did too. And I'm going to start out. I'm going to play. I got a couple of clips, and one is uh, about one minute. I'm going to play this because this was uh, um, it was Adam Schiff, and it was totally off the cuff. And I like some of the things he said. And this is not about politics. Some people may like them, may not like them. This is about the topic and the way it's being looked at. And here it goes. Uh, I thank uh, you gentlemen for your work and uh, be very interested to hear 
what you have to say. Uh, to me, among the most fascinating questions uh, are these uh, phenomena that we can measure, that is, uh, instruments report there is something there. It is not the human eye confusing objects in the sky. Uh, there is something there, measurable by multiple instruments, and yet it seems to move in directions that are inconsistent with what we know of physics or science uh, more broadly. And uh, that, to me, poses uh, questions of, of tremendous interest and uh, as well as potential national security significance. So we look forward to hearing what you're able to report to us today in open session, and I want to thank uh, Chairman Carson again for his extraordinary leadership on this issue, and I yield back. Yeah, so I thought that was a good sort of an opening. I was right near the beginning. And, you know, just the fact that everything he said there was true, and we've been kind of talking that way for quite a while. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as you know, Martin, the big issue here is how to destigmatize this phenomenon. Uh, mm -hmm. The last hearings when they were held 54 years ago was a very different climate. Um, people lost their jobs uh, for, you know, uh, reporting a sighting. Uh, people were ridiculed. It still happens today, but, but less. So the whole, uh, by putting it out front in a congressional hearing, I think it went quite a ways in, in taking the sting off the subject and showing that serious people uh, can discuss it in a seri serious way without ridicule. That's right. And one of the things is that Moultrie, one of the um, things, you know, I, I, I want to talk, get a couple of the so semi-negative things out of the way. And, and that is uh, someone, and I can't remember, I have it written down in my notes, but someone said right off the bat, they said, um, is it true that you like science fiction? And and so what was that about? I mean, did you, did you, well, it's trying to, trying to was, minimize something. Is it, I mean, it, uh, it was a light moment. I think uh, in a way it humanized uh, Ronald Moultrie uh, yeah. to show that under secretary of defense, it was interested in UFO conventions. He didn't dress up. He said, yeah, uh, but or that uh, much, uh, that much. <laughs> yeah. But, um, so uh, I don't think it was nefarious as a way of, you know, taking him down. I think it was a way of humanizing. And look, everybody knows okay. that the issue has, you know, its humorous, its humorous side. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, OK, I, I like your take on that. Thank you. Uh, but it's interesting. And I, I want to play, if it's all right, I'll, I'll get this clip out of the way and be done with the clips, because I think this is uh, fascinating. This is uh, Scott Bray, um, the Naval Intelligence We also spent considerable efforts engaging directly with our naval aviators and building relationships to help destigmatize the act of reporting sightings or encounters. And we worked with naval aviation leadership to provide additional equipment to record any encounter. Navy and Air Force uh, crews now have step-by-step -step procedures for reporting on EUAP on their kneeboard uh, in, their, uh, in the cockpit and uh, in their post-flight uh, debrief procedures. The direct result of those efforts has been increased reporting, with increased opportunities to focus a number of sensors on any objects. The message is now clear. If you see something, you need to report it. And the message has been received. In fact, recently, I received a call from a senior naval aviator with over 2,000 flight hours. He called me personally from the flight line uh, after landing uh, to talk about uh, an encounter that he had just experienced. Those were just the initial steps. We also made a concerted effort to assemble subject matter experts from across the Department of Defense and the intelligence community 
and other U.S. government agencies and departments. We forge partnerships with the research, development, and acquisition communities, with industry partners, and with academic research labs, and we brought many allies and international partners into our discussions on UAP. Additionally, subject matter experts from a wide variety uh, of fields, including physics, optics, metallurgy, meteorology, uh, just to name a few, have been brought in to, uh, uh, to expand our understanding in areas where me we may not have organic expertise. In short, we've endeavored to bring an all-hands-on-deck approach uh, to, the, to better understand this phenomena. So what have we learned so far? Any given observation may be fleeting or longer. It may be recorded or not. It may be observable by one or multiple assets. In short, there's rarely an easy answer. For example, And, you know, he went on to say that there's been over 400 reports um, since, it sounded like he was saying since they tried to destigmatize the situation. Um, I don't know if you caught that, but it seems like there, there's more comfort in reporting. And I love the fact that this is going to be on their knee board, you know, a specifics on what to do with a UFO encounter and in the briefing. Um, that's all good. That's all in the positive direction. But um, one thing uh, I did catch there, and I knew and you caught it because we talked off mic, was uh, one of the experts they're calling in is someone in metallurgy. And what does that mean? <laughs> because they said uh, that there's no, uh, there's nothing that can't be explained. Um, in other words, there's no crashed UFO. I think they more or less said that in a matter of words. So what do you think of that? Yeah, he did say they don't have any debris. Uh, they, he, I mean, I don't know what uh, little, uh, you know, uh, room he left, you know, for he doesn't have it. Maybe somebody else has it. But uh, I came away with the idea that he, the government, does not have, according to him, uh, materials from a crashed UFO. Um, but then what is the metallurgy part of it? I mean, who, where, what metals have been retrieved? What metals are being looked at? Where, where are they from? Um, I suppose you could theorize, uh, you know, what kind of metallic substance uh, one of these physical objects, which they agreed were physical, uh, might, might consist of. But it was quite a curious, um, you know, dissonance. Uh, we don't have material, but we are looking at the metallurgy. So, uh, you know, among the many mysteries of this subject. Right. And there was another thing he said later on. I'm not sure if you caught this either or if it means anything. But he was saying what is to remain classified is if they find out anything about these, uh, these objects that they may not want their adversaries to know. And that, that you could kind of go off, you know, into a conspiracy a little bit. And what is he saying? Like, if they find right. out they're they're actually, you know, from another planet, they're going to keep it from our adversaries, which would mean that they would have to keep it from us as well. Right. Um, I mean, he he invoked that at one point when they talked about underwater sightings. Yes. Uh, so it would be very nice to know what came up at the classified hearing. Uh, we're not supposed to know that, but uh, you know how much of that really can and should be kept away from the from the American people. I suppose if it has a defense component, security component, uh, you know it, it should remain uh, classified. But 
the whole history of this subject is that a lot of material that could have been shared with the American people uh, wasn't uh, for all kinds of reasons. So, uh, but that was very intriguing. The underwater thing, he invoked the the classified, uh, you know, shield at that point. Do you think, uh, you know, we only have a, a couple minutes here because I know you have a hard 15 minutes. You, you're very busy. A lot of you're in high demand right now. So what was your biggest takeaway from this? Was it just that or, or do you have something else? Uh, no, I mean, Scott Bray said these objects, uh, he said it clearly again. These objects are physical. They are real. Mm-hmm. And I can't emphasize that enough. That came out in the UAP task force report of last year after they went through all the other possibilities, you know, uh, cloud formation, natural phenomena, uh, reflections, uh, you know, uh, uh, other uh, aviation, uh, earthbound aviation. And then there was the big other bucket. Um, but they said in, in you know, con- conjunction with that, that these um, uh, objects, uh, many of them are real. So, We've come a long way since the last hearing, Martin, you know, 54 years ago when they said, you know, swamp gas and, and all yeah. these other outlandish uh, explanations. So now we're coming around to the idea. We don't know what they are. We don't know where they're from. We don't know how they can do what they can do, but they're real. Now, that to me is is quite a uh, an admission. It is. And, you know, I mean, someone asked me what I've what's the number one thing I've learned while doing the show for over 10 years. And that was my answer. <laughs> that they're real. I'm not saying what they are. And um, I believe somewhere in the talk this morning, um, in the hearing, you know, someone was talking about the very strong possibility that some of these could be extraterrestrial. It's a possibility. And that uh, there's a lot of research on that, that possibility of it, which uh, I thought was pretty good. Clearly, what came out of the hearing, that these things are able to do uh, you know, aerodynamically, what we can't duplicate, what our earthly adversaries can't duplicate. Uh, again, he, you know, threw cold water on, on the idea that uh, they could be Russian or Chinese, which is trotted out periodically. He said the Chinese are doing their own research. They have their own UAP task force equivalent. Um, so that's interesting. Um, so they're, they're looking into the same things we are. So um, it is interesting when you go back, you know, line by line over the testimony, there were quite some uh, insights here. That's right. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ralph. I really appreciate it. Always nice to talk to you. Likewise. And, and you know what? I'm going to run this thing about your book right now. Here it goes. The Believer is the chilling true story of Dr. John Mack, a renowned Harvard psychiatrist and Pulitzer Prize winner. This is an outreach program from the cosmos to the consciously impaired. He risked it all to investigate human encounters with aliens. The Believer, Alien Encounters, Hard Science, and The Passion of John Mack. Written by award-winning former New York Times journalist and author Ralph Blumenthal. Now available in paperback from High Road Books. All right. Wow. And that is that book is linked below. Sean, how are you? Hello, Martin. I'm really glad that you, uh, you agreed to be on this show. And it was funny when you were... Uh, visiting with uh, Lou Elizondo, you two are going to be on together. And uh-oh, your flight, you forgot to check your flight was leaving that day. So Yeah, we got our dates out. wrong. Yeah, yeah. So Glad uh, to finally be here. Yes, I'm glad you are too. And uh, uh, so what did before we go into, well, actually, let's quickly say your background, first of all. And then we'll, I want to talk about what you thought about the hearing today. But, sure. but would you, if you throw your background out there, I think uh, 
it's it's pretty interesting. I know you were in a you were in a rock band at one time, right? Weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Been in a couple throughout the years. Nothing uh, nothing notable. Just yeah. a hobby of mine. But uh, I spent uh, 20 years in the United States Navy. Most of that time as a master at arms, and uh, more than half of it as a chief master at arms. Uh, in 2004, I was stationed on board the USS Princeton when we encountered what's now infamously known as the Tic Tac. Um, over the course of that week, I assisted Kevin Day and Gary Voorhees and some other people with ships movements. And I was also on the bridge where I may or may have not witnessed five to seven uh, anomalous lights in the sky that may have been uh, associated with the Tic Tac. We'll never know. Um, but that's that's where I started with this. And it was about nine or so years later when I met Luis Elizondo when I let him know that I was one of the folks that I was there and we struck up a friendship and I've been, a, uh, I've been working on this subject with him ever since. Yeah. And I listened to another interview you were on and I want to talk to you about some of the things you said then, but for right now, uh, what it, did you uh, stream the, uh, did you get to watch you did? And I know it was yes, very it early. Uh, it was six o'clock in the morning, your time. So, but anyway, you can replay it. I don't know. Uh, so you got to watch it. What were your, what was your uh, thoughts on that hearing? You know, overall, if I were to give it a grade, I, I'd give it a, a definite um, A minus. I, uh -huh. I think we really achieved something today. Uh, I think that a lot of people should not let that pass them by. Um, now we could get into expectation management and we could get into the minutia of the pluses and minuses of it. But overall, today was a historic day. We should be celebrating these first steps. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I've, I've had some email, you know, from people that listen to the show that were disappointed. Um, and I remember speaking about this. I believe I spoke about it last week saying basically, you know, look, if you are expecting them to talk about aliens or crashed UFO material, um, you know, it, it's, it is all about expectations, mm -hmm. you know, what you're expecting to hear and what, actually happens but i think i personally think it was a really big step and i think that um you know it's an exciting time to be looking at this topic i mean you know for the first uh, many years it was still very interesting to me but the last few years it just it's like a, a snowball rolling down the hill and uh you know we there's a lot of people to thank for that people who have um you know, d done a lot of work to, to make this happen. You know, we, we really can't thank enough of them. Um, I recently put out an article thanking folks that, that we worked with directly at Skyfort. Um, and I was actually, I was very surprised at the amount of correspondence I got from other people saying, well, you didn't mention this person and all of these pioneers. And I, I would have been in front of my computer for a week listing all of the people that that wrote books and papers and, and folks like John Mack that we relied on for their, for the long-term research value that they've provided. Um, but the, it's a boundless amount of people that got us here today. It wasn't just Skyford. It wasn't just Lou Elizondo and, and the handful of people that, that we may associate with. Um, it was folks like yourself and, and Mr. Blumenthal and, and Leslie Keen and, and many other people um, who, who took something from before and looked at it differently and elevated it. Um, to a place that we had public hearings in Congress today. So it, it took all of us, every single one of us, I think. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, they there was one point that I, I just are uh, remembering right now where they talked about the disinformation aspect of this and how, you know, they have to be um, really wary of that. And that's why I'm hoping that they have 
Um, it, it seems to me, well, this is just my opinion and this is just off the cuff, but it seems to me like if someone just dives into this thing, like they've never really followed it closely and they just dive in. Um, and I, I know someone in particular that I can tell you right now that's very highly thought of that's done a lot of things and been on TV programs and stuff like that and, and is doing a wonderful job. But when he first dove into this thing, um, he was going to make a big mistake. And luckily, uh, I stopped I stopped the situation just by a conversation on the phone and, and after I looked at what he was talking about and all that type of thing. So this is what I'm talking about that can happen. If someone is in this, this task force, if they don't have, like, an, say, a person that really knows this subject, they can make a lot of mistakes and they can follow a lot of leads that are going to go nowhere and make fools of themselves. You know, there's uh, there's plenty of opportunity to do that. I have to say that that I feel like that is one thing that the task force got right. Um, while while I would agree with a lot of people without being condescending that the task force needs some help in, in education surrounding the greater zeitgeist of the subject. At the same time, I'm very happy that they didn't go down any rabbit holes um, of 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 fictionalized misinfo disinfo things that that are just that get confusing I, they started at the ground level and i know a lot of people wanted more impactful disclosure type questions being asked today but I, i'm very glad that they brought dignity to the subject because we're we're almost starting at square one in a lot of ways because we're just not sure what came before this moment was was worthwhile and what wasn't yeah and one one thing i have to say about one of the um representatives his name was gallagher um he asked some very really good questions about the nukes and the disabling of the nukes and he was rather surprised that no one seemed to know about that and you know that was at and you know through the air force and there should be all types of documentation for that um and so i thought that was really really good that he did that and maybe they will look into it but i have to say and I'm probably going to get some mail for saying this. Uh, he went into the Wilson document. Now, mm -hmm. the Wilson document is we don't know if it's that whole thing, if there's really if it's really that credible. There, there's some issues with it. And then he entered it, you know, and I'm thinking the whole time I'm cringing, thinking, oh, he was doing so well. <laughs> and, then, and then he went there and that could that could potentially muddy the water, so to speak. And that could, could be a problem in my opinion. So if the task force is, if the task force as a generalized term, meaning the, you know, what goes forward from here on out, the, the, the authoritative oversight that we're all hoping for, if they do their homework, right, we're going to get the truth out of the Wilson document. So whether it's a dubious origin or, or whether it's laced with urban myth and legend, that's something that's now in the task force's hands. Now, I don't want to spend too much time going, why had they never heard of the Wilson document? Um, it, it should have been something that one way or the other, they would have been socialized to. Um, there were some other things during the, during the hearing that I found a little interesting. Um, that a lot was made of Project Blue Book, but it was almost completely unmentioned um, they didn't mention Project Sign, Project Grudge, right. the Condon Report. 
Yes. And so there's a lot of people watching this that are hearing the task force answer questions. For example, like what you mentioned earlier, do you have crash material? They said, we do not have crash material. I wouldn't be surprised if the UAP task force doesn't even have a water cooler. Um, <laughs> there, no offense to them, but it's only a few people that are trying to reach out into a network of, of larger folks and gain information. So they were woefully uneducated in a lot of what the key points might be. And so I think that you're you mentioning that they, they, they're going to need a, a PhD level UFO expert um, advising them. And they're going to need folks like Lou Elizondo or people like him or and, and the pilots, et cetera. We all saw what was missing today. So I think a lot of the American public, especially centered in the UFO and science communities, are, are know exactly what they're going to be looking for next time, for sure. Does anyone uh, I don't I haven't heard this in any type of way, but does anyone know if this is going to be a regular type of I meant to ask Ralph this. You know, if these hearings are going to be on a regular basis, I, I don't have a, a solid, um, you know, standard operating procedure memo or anything to point to. But but when we speak about it and, and I didn't I didn't have as much notice as, as Mr. Blumenthal did, certainly. Um, but I knew about it a little bit ahead of time. The the idea is that the classified briefings that occur should have unclassified public brethren that follow them. And that that if if our congressional folks are getting briefings at this point moving forward on this, then whatever they're briefed on should be sanitized and redacted down to the level where it can be publicized as quickly as possible. So if we see consistently classified briefings behind closed doors, that's going to get old pretty quick, I think. Right. And what did you think uh, if you were listening uh, when I said to Ralph that if they are, you know, working to understand what these UAP are, that they want to make sure they're not going to share it with their adversaries, which would mean, obviously, that they can't share it with the, the public. Um, yeah. Am I taking that? Do you think I'm taking that in a wrong way? Or do you think, does, does that mean that it could be something military? Is that what, do you think they meant that type of thing? Well, I think where a lot of people have a have a kind of a kind of bias that takes them one way or the other is when we get to what is it. So if it's if it's a if it's adversarial, um, if it won't uh, show itself and, and unveil itself, and, and you know if it won't disclose itself, then our our military, our our leaders, they have to treat it as such. Um, now, I don't think what they were talking about, because again, we didn't talk about aliens today. That wasn't on the table. Extraterrestrials and, and ideas like that, those conclusions are very far down the road from we have an anomalous video and, and radar data and things like that. However, before people get too up in arms about that, I think that what we're talking about here, here solely surrounds um, concepts, technology, and things surrounding national security in that if there is if there is an other that it that possesses advanced technology that might dominate a battle space if if the united states government had information that pointed towards that as an outside influence i can see where they would want to keep that from our earthly adversaries because there that you can easily make the jump to your adversary might contact this thing gain the gain the upper hand on you etc so i think a lot of people don't understand this isn't just about 
figuring out what it is. It's also about safeguarding ourselves from our earthly adversaries and the possibility of adversaries off planet or more esoteric, if that's what it turns out to be, and, because it hasn't identified itself. And, and the government has a role in that. And, that. and part of that role is managing intelligence, managing capabilities to ensure that, that an adversary doesn't leave past them. You know, the, the one thing that I, I think about that is, you know, if there was all of a sudden there was knowledge that, yes, this is definitely an intelligence from, you know, uh, an extraterrestrial uh, intelligence, uh, we have figured this out. Um, I'm not really sure. Um, I, I, I see where you're going, but I also wonder what they would be giving up if they admitted that, if they knew it, you know, would they? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, it it's a very tricky. sticky situation because we, mm. we were very much in the dark here. Yeah. Um, the implications and conclusions are astounding. I think that our leadership, if those implications and conclusions exist, even in the most general form, I think they're probably very frightened. Um, you know, a lot of people will blow off to me when I talk to them about the sociological and, and cultural impacts of these things. But a lot of the people I talk to about this subject aren't playing chess with the subject. They're playing checkers and they're just they're just thinking about their visceral wants and needs and the needs yeah. of, of the public. And they're not thinking about the cascading effects that these are going to have throughout our society once they're known. I don't again, I'm not a I'm not a secret keeper. I want to know. And when I know, I'm going to say. But um, but I can see where people would be reticent to 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 make those decisions. And I can see that this is going to be a hard fight. I've said a, a number of times on the show, and you just have ne never heard me say it, um, but um, I've often thought and, and said that I don't think that our government really knows that much more about what they are than anyone, mm -hmm. you know, and um, if they did, they would have an awful lot of explaining to do if they've known about it for a long time and have, you know, said it's really nothing, nothing going on here type of thing. Mm -hmm. But I really believe that they probably don't know that much about it, you know, but I do believe that there is some really good evidence out there. Uh, there's been a number of reports over the years of film that was taken by the government um, and the situation we've been talking about. Um, Gary Voorhees talks about the data bricks being, you know, absconded right off of right. Nimitz, uh, you know, so they, they have to know more, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they really know what it is. I, I, I completely agree with you. And that flabbergasts a lot of people. Um, but I think what we saw today with the, with the hearing shows us that there is not, there's, there's not a library of Congress to go to, to find out what has been done in the subject. You have to go to ufology. You have to go outside of, of government and leadership to get a, a sight picture of what's happening here. And we even saw a, a task force that was specifically tasked with gaining as much information as they could in a very protract, protracted period of time. But they were woefully uneducated about what's gone on before, about whom their, who their predecessors are and, and what kind of things have been worked on over the years. And we have 75 years of, of at least observational reverse engineering of think of, of of considering ideas of seeing things and, and and talking about them at a certain level and these ideas do promulgate so none of these things are are absolute are absolutely a new subject to any of these folks but i think that there's 
the learning curve is going to be very steep going from here on out. One of the things I believe they actually mentioned it today, I've heard it before, but they're not, um, they're not really going to, and in the chat room, I'm, I just have to say in the chat room, I may not get to too many of your questions tonight. I will try, but if you'd like to send a question, do please do put them in all caps and I'll try to get to them if I can. Um, but, you know, they are not going to be looking back further really than the two, than 2000 or so. And right. their answer for, and it's really a shame because so much has happened over the years and decades. Um, but their, their reasoning is that the data collection is not near good enough to understand what these things are. Uh, well, that's what they've said. Right. Yeah. But if, if I may, um, yes, let, let's raise the BS flag a little bit here, because I don't want people to think that I'm an apologist for, for what we saw today. Okay, I think that what we saw was folks doing the best that they could with, with the time they were possibly given. But Representative Tim Burchette immediately following, and I, I've seen this via uh, an NBC clip from Gaddy Schwartz, but he came right out and said, come on, we've, uh, we've seen better behind closed doors. The pilots have seen better. We have better. We need the pilots up here and we need to be showing the people, you know, the, the more compelling evidence. And I have to completely agree with him. And the idea that he would kind of do a 180 on the status quo that we had seen go on before is very shocking to me, but, I, but I'm happy about it because it means that there are mavericks willing to push this forward and not let it go away. Yes, um, I saw, and I wish I, I wish I could bring it up uh, quickly, but I saw um, someone on a, someone sent me a news clip that was great, and this, um, and I can't remember if it was a senator, it was someone that was important enough to have his hands in on this topic, maybe. I don't think he was on the task force, but possible he was. And he was basically saying, come on, you know, these things are, come on, everybody. These, these things are real. And I, I, I wish I could find the clip easy enough. I would probably put it up, but uh, he was like saying, we really need to, you know, stop. Uh, I believe he called it a cover up. It's been a cover up. Now um, you can, you can say it's, a cover-up, or again, it might just go back to the fact that they have no idea what's going on. I th I think that it w again, without being an apologist, because there there have been cover-ups, um, <laughs> lies of omission are are part of cover-ups. Mm -hmm. um, some could even say that the that the lack of understanding of the playing field today by some of the people could be perceived as a cover-up. Um, but the compartmentalization. And, and and continued recompartmentalization of this subject is astounding. Um, if we if we look at all of the different programs that proceeded from following World War II from from Blue Book on, you see that there is a constant eureka moment for for new generations. And and every few years, you get a group of people to go, oh my God, there's something here. Let's form a task force of some kind, you know, or, or a group or a project and put it together and research it. And then at the end of it, we get a, a very milk toast and whitewashed report and a nothing to see here. And it goes back into the black. And that happened over and over again for 75 years. So the notion of a cover up doesn't have to fall into the conspiracy realm. Um, it, it can be a cover up by default. It could be a cover up because of all of the, the, the compartmentalization. But the fact is, is we're here. The, the oversight that we're seeing now cannot go away. 
it, it there there needs to be a decompartmentalization and a, and a homogenization of this subject. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, like I I asked Ralph this question, I'll ask you: What was uh, today? What was your biggest takeaway from? You know, the best thing you would think that came out of today. Well, for me, we we got to we got to really knock down a lot of the low hanging fruit that has been plaguing us lately. ATIP is now a matter of record without, without question. Um, the Wilson memo has been as- assumed into the, uh, into the machine. So we'll finally get the investigation that, that it deserves. And we'll finally start to, to understand that. Um, I, I think that we all saw obfuscation in place today. Um, I think Congress is, is up for the task, but we, we saw this, taken seriously and given dignity in a way that it hasn't been before. Um, it, those things are on record. We have the, we have the follow on scheduling for the, for these briefings. Uh, and there are unclassed briefings coming up again too. And there's no reason why we shouldn't get the, the data out of those unclassed briefings. Um, the question is, is where is air force? Um, they should be taking a lead in this today. It was discussed <laughs> this, that, <coughs> pardon me, discussed again that Navy has lead on this. Where is Air Force in this? Um, and are we going to see the military leadership now that's in place and, and that bring in their pilots, bring in their, their, their field operators and the other people that have seen these things? Just, just recently, there, there's, there's, there's talk of a, of, a, uh, of a group of folks that were in Saudi Arabia on combat missions that were specifically ordered not to speak about the UAP they encountered while on these missions. Um, that's a big question as to why. Those folks can immediately be, be brought in. Uh, people like Commander Fravor, if they're willing to speak more. Um, and the other pilots should immediately be brought in. So we can, if we're not going to go back through 70 years worth of data and figure out what that meant, then let's take the data that we have right now in 4K in some cases, and, and, and let's let's figure out what that data is. One of the things um, regarding, you're talking about the 70 years that they had, um, and I wish that was brought up more today. And the reason why is because there was a lot of question whether these things could be, you know, uh, say, secret programs or possible adversaries. And but they never I want to say they never they don't talk about, hey, you know, back in 1960, this object was doing exactly the same thing. Uh, So how would you explain that to be, you know, our adversaries or a secret program? I mean, that that would have been really nice if that was part of the topic today, because uh, because it discounts so much if they do not bring that up. I mean, you could relatively say about anything the tic tac could have been you know technology and um one of the things i i'm rambling a little bit here but one of the things i i did like i can't remember it was moultrie perhaps said there is no blue on blue in other words we're not chasing our own tail we're not chasing the technology of a secret program that type of thing which i thought was interesting to hear and good to hear in general i i've never worried too much about us bumping into our own tech. I came from a, a period in the Navy where we had experienced a, um, a scandal. We experienced a lot of scandals before I came in the Navy. We experienced tail hook 
And um, we experienced another one with our with our training forces. We had what were called red cell. Um, we had um, special operations guys who would come in and test the defenses of our own assets. And after a while, people started getting hurt. And we realized that that blue on blue unannounced training leads leads to to mishap and death and and it wasn't worth it. And so the US Navy completely stopped all blue on blue unannounced training. And, and for the remainder of my career, we would go to great lengths to ensure that every personnel with insider hearing, every person with insider hearing understood whether or not we were engaged in a drill or an actual event. Um, so the idea that we would test this technology out there amongst a, a, a nuclear battle fleet that's prepping to go to actual operations, I, I think is beyond the realm of, of ridiculousness because there's just too many things that could go wrong um, during, if there were a mishap. So I, I don't see that as happening. Um, I think I, that's I, very, I think that's, yeah. pardon me. I think that's very important very important for people to know that this is not it. You know, people like Mick West, who, um, you know, is, has come up with that type of thing. Uh, uh, actually I take that back. I'm not hundred percent sure if that's one of the, the ways that he went, but, uh, uh, but other people have talked about the fact that they think it's, and there was uh, someone that was saying it was a hologram type of situation that was being yeah. tested and all these type of things. But uh, it's really good to know that the Navy learned their lesson a long time ago and this would not happen. And I, I would assume that would be across all branches of the military. It, 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 that's, that's correct. We, we do not do um, unannounced uh, training exercises against armed, locked and loaded forces. I, I'm just I'm trying to imagine the mishap that could have happened with a five observables craft and a nuclear aircraft carrier with a fleet of aircraft and guided missiles in submarines and on and on ships. I have no idea what that how badly that could have gone if if that were a training exercise. Um, it, we have a solid history of observational data that says this is not a modern a brand new modern problem. It's a 70-year investigation for a reason. I, I think that we have to take some of these benchmarks, that it's a 75-year-plus investigation, that numerous um, authorities throughout the years have investigated it and then literally said the same thing. Nothing to see here. We'll be over there. Don't call us. We'll call you. But if, if I can remind folks, um, this is something not a lot of people are going are gonna to be aware of. Just let me pull up my notes for a minute. Um, in December of 1953, the Joint Chiefs of Staff issued a letter of promulgation. Joint Army-Navy Air Force Regulation Number 146 made it a crime for military personnel to discuss classified UFO reports with unauthorized persons. Violators face up to two years in prison and or fines up to $10,000. And again, that was December 1953, uh, Joint Army-Navy Staff Letter of Promulgation Number 146. Now, my question is, is in any realm... Why would we need to make it illegal to discuss this? Now, I understand uh, uh, no one needs to be reminded not to discuss classified reports. Why does everyone in the service need a reminder not to discuss classified UFO reports at that time? Um, mm, interesting. It, it, adds, yeah. it, it, it certainly tells us that this isn't new. 
if we needed to order sailors for under a $10,000 penalty back in the 60s, that's a big penalty in the 1960s. Oh, my God. It's like a house today. So Buying a house. Who, yeah. What were we saving ourselves from if, if Seaman Timmy blabbed about the flying saucer he saw while out to sea? Yeah. And I, I'm being flippant, but those are questions I'd, I'd like to see answered, too. If we have a chance, some of the history of this should bring up some very, very big questions for our leadership. Since you've really looked into this deeply, and I, I do want to, there's a number of things I want to ask, and in more or less in the second hour, we'll go into those type of things. But have you looked at all into what they call the USOs, you know, underwater? Um, yes. Because that fascinates me. And you being a Navy guy, I would think that that would kind of be an interest of yours, possibly. Well, the, I can tell you firsthand, now granted it's hearsay, but... I'll, off the record, the sonar techs that I was with on Princeton, they, they're not interested in being identified. I've spoken to a couple of them, and if they want to come forward, they, they know how easily they could. But they said, Sean, they were all over the place under the water. They were zipping back and forth like crazy. And that prompted me to make calls to some folks that I knew that were in ballistic missile submarines during the 60s and 70s up around the Arctic Circle and the Dew Line. And they told me the same thing. And they said that there was a culture on the boat to not make those log entries that they just happened and you just let it happen. Now, I, I, I'd really like to know why that is quite amazing. Now, Mark D'Antonio, who was, um, he's an astronomer. He was on my show last week. Uh, I've been friends with him for a number of years. He worked for the, uh, as a contractor, did a project for the Navy and he got a submarine ride on a maiden voyage or whatever they call it. And, uh, there was a, a, what they called a fast walker situation where something was going 200 knots underwater and it, the kind of the same thing. I don't know if it was logged or not, but, um, but that was here. He is a civilian and he's right in there in the, in the mix of it. And here's the whole thing happening, which I think is extraordinary. And, you know, he just happens to be on there when that happens, which makes me totally believe what these people are telling you that it happens all the time. And it's very intriguing because in 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 the medium of water, we have our own. You have your own um, benchmarks for speed, like we do in the atmosphere. You know, when yes. an aircraft hits hits a supersonic envelope, there's there's action that happens. And when you get to a certain speed underneath water, you have what's called cavitation. Right. And these things are not cavitating. Just like and, there's no sound yeah. barrier breaking. Correct. Yeah. And so that that's. That's not our tech. I mean, I'll, I'll say that in a blanket way. I, you know, it, it's easy for me to say because nobody can prove me wrong right now, but I don't think that's our tech. That is, that's what we covet at the end of the rainbow for any, you know, for any of this stuff. We want to go that far, that fast, that smooth. We can't. How, I wonder, um, there's probably a um, algorithm for how this works or a rule of thumb or in physics about how fast something can go underwater before cavitation occurs. And does that have to do with propulsion or just the speed of it? Um, I, you know, I, I'm not an expert on this, but I will say what I do know about our submarine fleet is that there are designs that we can, um, there, there are ways to design a submarine, ways to design torpedoes um, so that they can, so the, like we have super cavitating torpedoes that go very, very, very fast. Those are classified uh, in, in their nomenclature, but 
a you can reduce cavitation. So a submarine, you don't want to advertise that noise. So they do do certain things to the design and the the, the way that the screws work and the way that the the way that it 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 moves that reduce cavitation. But I I I don't have the um I don't I don't have the information to say where at whether it would be due to propulsion or not. I understand what you're saying. Is it an effect of an esoteric technology that's bypassing um, what we're doing, or is it is it an effect of of structure or speed? I, I, I there's a lot of questions there. Yeah, and there's a whole lot of I mean, there's a whole lot of questions when it comes to USOs in general. Like, mm-hmm. what are they doing under there if they're there? And you know, the Earth is I think 73 percent ocean. You know, it's really high. Um, so that's that's such a, a a large part of our our surface, and these things could certainly hide under there. But why? <laughs> and what would they be doing there? And at what end are they? For me, Occam's Razor says because we're not there. Ah. If you t- take a look at Google shipping lanes and aircraft travel lanes and you will find that all of us travel around the globe on a few different lines and that yes. there are giant swaths of ocean where you don't no want to be goes to no yeah, you don't want to be there in a shipwreck either you know no, no then in a raft. we don't fight we're not fighting naval battles in the middle of the pacific with anyone our ships are going from place to place and and our goods and services and cruises and everything you might have a you know an oceanographic explorer that's in an interesting area doing placing noah buoys or something like that but there are swaths the size of Texas where there's not a human being in right now. Yeah. Yeah. So there's just so much, it's so vast. And, but another thing is, you know, I'm thinking like a human. Okay. So I wouldn't want to stay under the water. You know I mean? What is it there? um, If it's, if it's a structured object under the water with, let's say some type of being in it, Maybe not a being. Maybe it's a, a drone type of situation. Where it would be from would still be very interesting. But, uh, you know, I just wouldn't, you know, you think about you go down so many hundreds of feet and it's totally black down there. You know, so um, it's kind of like, why would you want to live on Venus if you could? You know, uh, you know, we live everywhere that we can on this planet. So yeah. we've, you're wearing a spacesuit right now. And so am I, this was so you could leave, you know, this is so you can leave the house and not get too cold. <laughs> I've got, I've got or a slightly thicker. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got some thicker spacesuits hanging up over there and some, some helmets and things like that. I'm being, being cute here, but everything that we do, every tool that we have that isn't a part of this body is a means to get farther away from our base camp and, and gain more resources. So if you have a tech, in my mind, if you have a technology that's, that is able to exhibit the five observables, to me, there, there's a lot of follow-on conclusions from that as to what you could accomplish. And it seems like you're taking your here with you wherever you go. So just like we're, we're happy to be in the rain with an umbrella, they may have no problem uh, due to the level of technology they have being comfortable wherever they like. So, all right. So again, thinking in human terms, uh, which probably may not make any sense at all for whatever they are but what would you be doing under the water would you be exploring 
uh, the life that's there, uh, non-intelligent life, except for octopuses and dolphins and some whales and things like that. But I mean, kind of a lower, you know, intelligence. Um, it seems like you'd be, I mean, I just wonder if they're there all the time, what, what is, uh, why? <laughs> and this is all speculation. I'm just, oh, and, and I'm just, happy to speculate with you to me. They're avoiding <laughs> they're to me. They're avoiding us when it's not advantageous, uh, when it's advantageous for them to do so. Um, mm. They, they're not, th this is the thing for me. And, and it, because I face a lot of um, very light anti-military and anti-government uh, venom from, you know, friends, colleagues, and families, people who, who want to, a chance to rant at the machine and then point at somebody for five minutes while they do it. And I go, <laughs> when I, when they're done, I go, okay, are you done? Cause that wasn't me. And, and you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like I, um, I don't mean to digress too much, but if I, they're avoiding us, they're not landing on the White House lawn. They didn't. They're not landing at the Super Bowl, at least not yet. There's not a, a big light show in the sky over New York that that two million people saw. You know what I mean? We're, when we have flaps, they don't. They don't seem to work like that. They can let us know who they are anytime they want to. Right. And. We could have embassies and spaceports and all that cool, neat stuff like in the movies that we all imagine. But it seems like these are things are shooting in and out of the ocean and coming in from space. So, again, I'm not painting a picture of invasion. Okay, that's not a word that I would use. But if you have an external source that is that is coming here, the first thing that they're going to do is the same things we're going to do if we're in the same situation. You're going to send covert intelligence, military and scientists. You know, there are going to be people there to, to protect the, the civilians and the scientists. But in general, you're going into hostile, unknown territory. And if if a lot of people speculate, as a lot of people speculate, if they showed up after our first detonations of nuclear devices or us first splitting the atom, I imagine they would be pretty wary of us. Yes. Um, we're in the and middle of a be. world war. We're in the yeah. middle of a practical race war right now. We're, we're so polarized right now. It's ridiculous. And... I just, I think folks need a more realistic view of, of who we are, what we are, what's going on, et cetera, when they apply it to this subject. It's not just as simple as the government knows and won't tell us. How about the UFOs know and they won't tell us? Hmm. So, yeah. 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 It's all, it's, it's all fascinating. And, you know, uh, I wonder if uh, this is going to sound really silly, <laughs> but I wonder if they, any of whoever it is out there that's visiting us knew that we had this hearing today <laughs> sure. or we're not, are we not that important? You know, are we you know, like the, are we like the ants and the anthill? I'm a, 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 at the risk of, uh, of sounding like, like Mr. Moultrie today. I am also a science fiction fan. Um, <laughs> and I'm really enjoying the, the, the newest iteration of star Trek, um, strange new worlds. Mm. And uh, pardon me, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen it yet, because I'm going to I'm going to spoil the generalized plot of the first episode, which is a reverse Roswell situation. Essentially, they go to a planet that's that's roughly similar to us. And the Enterprise is the UFO. And I think we've all seen that in the old program before, but they did a modern spin on it. It's it's something that I think a lot of people should take a look at because we're seeing in that episode what is our most hoped for best case scenario? 
in a lot of people's hearts that one day this this large unmistakable ship is going to appear somewhere and we're all just going to wake up from our nonsense and go oh you're right it's a bigger universe we should stop fighting and everything else i, I would love for that to happen if someone can show me yeah. where the switch is to flip for that i'll i'll don't do it in a minute yeah but i don't that hasn't happened in the last 70 years and and it i don't i don't know of any plans for that to happen either um so again we're left holding the bag here and and government looks bad because they've been looking at it for longer than they're talking about it but there's nobody to point to to take responsibility that's right and it's you know it's generational you know the people that were there in 1947 are, you know, they're long since passed and generation after generation, you know, they pass the baton or pass the information or whatever compartmentalized somehow, uh, if that's how it's done. If there's files somewhere, you know, the Roswell file box, you know, tucked away somewhere. Uh, it's all it's all interesting and, and it would be really, you know, if only we could know what they know that's, you know, can't all be classified. You know, it just seems like there would be, there seems like there would be more that they could share that they have learned over the years that wouldn't shake our society. And, and I, I completely agree with you that that information should exist. Um, it has to. And, and we're, but we're back to the, who's the, they we're going to point at, you know, now we're going to point at the UAP task force and we're going to point at the folks that were in the room in the congressional hearing. <clears throat> but it, it's really unless we're going to point at an edifice like Air Force, which I thought we just did with the task force. Where is the, where are their submissions? Where is there? Yes. Where is it, where's the forklifts uh, full of data they've collected? Yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you're bringing that topic up, because that has that has been really curious that the Navy has been the one to take the lead on this. And I I did hear uh, um, Scott Bray say today that um these, uh, you know, the information, the protocols are going to be on the knee board in the cockpit. And he said Navy and Air Force. He did say Air Force mm -hmm. as well. So but it's not them taking the lead. And uh, that that is a very strange situation because they have, you know, they were they were a project blue book for one, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, and why? I wonder why. Yeah. As, as of right now, perhaps not anymore, I could be over, overstepping here, but as of the formation of, of Space Force, U.S. Air Force had tactical and strategic control over our airspace and, and lower Earth orbit for the United <clears throat> States, unrivaled by any other nation. It makes no sense that our maritime force would be running this. Um, now, granted, they have a very substantial air force of their own and high tech and satellites and, and you know, and our, our, our ships are of, of some of the and, and aircraft are some of the highest tech that we have. But that would seem like a real blow to me as 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 an air force leader to have a aerospace mission taken from me and given to our, to our maritime force. Now, I'm Navy. I'm happy about it. I'm proud that we <laughs> I don't know why that's dumb, but I'm proud the Navy's running it. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, where is air force where they're not even in the room? Yes. Yeah. And you know, one thing you said, I heard you say just a few minutes ago, like if you could flip the switch of, you know, them presenting themselves, you know, maybe we would stop the fighting, um, because it is kind of ridiculous. It's kind of like Ronald Reagan said several times, 
you know, right. if if we were presented with that, you know, we would all come together as one. It's it's a nice fantasy to think that, but it also makes me think of okay, this this hearing happened today. Uh, why can't it be more of a worldwide mm-hmm. situation? I mean, because there's so much data that could be passed back and forth through every country. Brazil's very open mind to it. France is. Uh, mm-hmm. A few others, you know, I mean, even China has an interest in it. Um, but it just seems like it would, this is not, this is not, shouldn't be confined to a country. It's something that involves our whole entire planet. Um, you know, I can understand that if they think, if they totally think it's an adversary, but they have to have enough data to show that it's, you know, it's outside of that, most of it. Mm-hmm. Is, has to be outside of that, especially when their objects are displaying technology that defies physics and science. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think that, that we have a long way to go in in, in driving this data. It, it's almost like we're herding this disparate group of cows into a in, into a bottleneck. But there's so much information out there. And so many assumptions that are made across the board on all of our accounts, for you, for me, for, for experts, for fans alike. And it, nobody is, it has stepped up yet. And I see, I see frustration on, on the faces of our representatives. Some of them are downright, um, downright angry, frankly. Um, but I, the question remains, how long will it take us to get where we're supposed to be? And will our leadership and will our will will the people in government that are that are doing this work for us right now do they feel a responsibility to help shepherd us into understanding or do they just feel that they need to make data dumps to the american public and walk away because this this is not a simple subject um it has been tainted with misinfo and disinfo over the years and people should 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 define what those things mean for themselves. They're very different things. But the, the ufology community itself for years has been targeted by Russian disinfo. They, they really enjoy putting conspiracy and hyperbole and things like that into the American zeitgeist to confuse American folks. Um, people should not be surprised about that. So examining our, 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 I would actually say our national and international confirmation bias um, as, as to what we, what we expect, what we can deliver. Um, and then truly asking the hard, the really hard questions yeah, at the risk of, of upsetting some friends. Um, I, I had the opportunity today on, on a BBC interview to ask the question, why are our five eyes partners in, in great Britain, not on the same page with us as to the reality of this situation. We're sharing intelligence. We're sharing, we're sh- we share, you know, military data and intelligence data across the board because of our partnerships. And yet the MOD still says nothing to see here. We don't think this is an important subject while the United States is holding open hearings. So folks in the UK and in the ministry of defense need to ask themselves, why aren't we on the same page? Why aren't you stepping up where we are and helping us out? Hmm. Well, you know, that may be the, you know, this may be a domino situation, Mm -hmm. you know, perhaps uh, we'll see how this is received. What I'm hoping doesn't happen is that this is an ephemeral thing and like everyone like, okay, move along. What's next? You know, Mm -hmm. uh, of course, with all the crazy news going on constantly, it's, 
It's is this is this is going to be a blip to the average person probably. I don't know. I don't know how much this is going to be covered in the news. Hopefully a lot. Um, but um, so let's hope that it's not just something that is talked about a little bit and then no one really cares. To me, uh, it's kind of like I feel like my friend today that texts me. It's almost like the moon landing. It's a, it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. I think it is. I don't think it's going to go away. Um, like uh, like Ralph, I'm I'm privy to a few things a little bit ahead of when they come out because I, I I work on the end where we try to make some of these things happen. Um, a lot of the things, as we say behind the scenes, I know people are tired of hearing that, but a lot of the things happening behind the scenes are getting getting real traction, uh, getting real support. This has spread out much far beyond where I think a lot of people understand where it's being talked about is almost everywhere in, in leadership and influence at this point. Um, word has made its way around. Now it's time for the people, the, those thought leaders, I, those influencers for lack of a better word. And he, even to a certain extent, even some of our celebrities and other folks, it's time for them to add dignity to this the way that, that the hearings on the Hill did, because that's how we communicate to each other. We communicate via our media and we have, a, we have people in our country that we allow to do our talking for us, not necessarily our thinking, but a lot of our talking. And then we kind of line up with who we agree with and we, we reshuffle the deck. Um, but this is really spread out very, very far. So I would expect while you're going to see a great deal going on in the private sector and in industry with people trying to find ways to capitalize on, on new paradigms, new technology, new ideas and things like that, you're also seeing people that, that are thought leaders, academics, um, researchers who weren't turned on to the reality of this, tur turning their acumen towards it. So I think we're going to see a, a huge explosion in um, in in understanding because I think we're going to we're going to get a lot more experts help, helping us to to weed out some of the nonsense, um, and I think we're going to come up with new questions. But I don't think it's going to go away. Uh, it would be a very bad optic for the U.S. government to have come this far and to have. To have made to have allowed this to become as popular a subject as it is right now, and then think that they're going to be able to to turn out the lights and sneak away without telling anybody. Excellent point. Excellent point. I agree. Um, and you know, so I I do think it's it's moving forward. And one of the things I really liked that uh, uh, Scott Bray had to say was that all of the different areas of expertise that is he's getting involved in this, you know, uh, hundreds of scientists. When you hear that, uh, I remember when I started the show, uh, that was something I brought up a lot. Why doesn't science get involved in this? Oh, because they can't get funding or because it's taboo. It's a career killer. And all that is going away. Uh, I don't know about the funding. The The issue with funding for most scientists is that it has to be something solvable, something that has an end, you know, that they can work toward, uh, which this um, you can never we may never know, you know, in another 50 years, we still may not really know. But at least mm -hmm. it could be explored and, you know, hints and clues of what actually may be going on. I mean, I hope that it's discovered exactly what's going on, but that's all I have is hope. I, I, I really don't know. You know, we may, it's, it's, uh, it's not an easy thing to capture whatever it is. 
we live in a very interesting and dynamic universe. And we, we, for the sake of conversation, we also all, pardon me, we often default to the idea of, of what other people call aliens and aliens being either a, a non-human or an off world species or something that came here in a spaceship of some kind, but without getting too cheeky, um, using the, the Marvel movies as a reference, which most of us have seen them now. Um, the Marvel movies speak of a universe. They talk about a universe that's multifaceted. And physics shows us that we live in a multifaceted universe, even if we're only focused on one facet at a time. Um, so if we were to find out that we were bumping into some aspect of the multiverse or seeing echoes of another Earth or something like that, and again, wild speculation, Mm -hmm. It would be a very different thing than an alien with a name in an, in a vehicle making a trip from one rock to another in a vast universe. Mm -hmm. um, and it might be something that continues forever without us ever understanding it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and so those are that side of the coin is kind of the other end of there's something weird going on, but it's not exactly what you think. Those, those are possibilities we have to, we have to take into account. Um, and so that, that's going to require just so much more science because what we're, what we're talking about here is really just observation. We're going we're gonna to sit here on our rock and look at the universe with as much ability as we can and try to gather information. Um, that has to be applied to this now, completely right. across the board, full spectrum. Right, right. And I wonder if let's say a person has a fear or they say that groups of religion or whatever have a fear of that. There's, you know, like if they found out aliens were visiting us from another rock, as you say um, that, Oh my, you know, what does this mean? And you know, Oh God, it's terrible. And you know, all this type of thing, they could absolutely have the same type of fear if it was from another dimension or another multiverse. I mean, it's still, like you said, alien, to us and uh it would still be very hard to understand and explain and what's you know, the difference between a demon per per a a religious um definition and an extra dimensional animal that wants to take your resources and exploit you i i, I just i don't i see semantics here you mm -hmm. know what i mean so and there are people that think that uh that think that that's partially if not wholly what we're dealing with and I, I think it again, we're back to that that unity aspect of this, because this is not a national subject. This is not a partisan subject. It's not a regional or a continental subject. It is a global subject. This is going to affect all of us. And unless I'm wildly wrong, I don't think it's going to it's owned by any one specific religion, because I think it's pretty obvious to me that all of our religions are, are again, trying to view something from their own facet and they're part of the whole. Um, I think if our religious leaders and our theologians did the unthinkable and came together in the same room and started comparing commonality of experience and things like that, they could be very helpful to this process. But if we have any group, any major subset of humanity that tries to own this without the rest of us, we can't let that happen. This is for 8 billion people. That's correct. Whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, and it's incredibly important that we don't allow it to, to go that way. So what I see in, in I'm actually pretty happy with the communications I've had with, with folks in, in, for lack of a better word, in the religious sphere. 
Um, the Catholic Church seems ready to talk about this. Um, the Sufis have, have a yes, mm-hmm. yeah. The Sufis have a pretty good idea of, of they believe of what they're talking about. Um, in, in general, Jewish tradition will hold this up. So, move into the Eastern religions and and you know the larger things surrounding Buddhism and Hinduism. They're ready too. They they'll they'll tell you who we're dealing with, um, like a lot of other folks. So, it, we need. We need to see whatever I, I always say that there's this this metaphor of us. We're all in a gymnasium. And since we're so polarized in this world right now, I think it fits. You got half the team on this side of the gym and the other team on the other half of the gym. We're all trying to describe one object that's in the center of the gym, but we're not comparing. We, you, I'm not asking what you see over there. I'm telling you what I see from over here. We need that group to come together and kind of start walking around in a circle and seeing the whole thing together. Um, not just sitting in their little their little comfy spot and telling the rest of us what it is. Exactly. Very well said. I, I like the metaphors. It's it's perfect. Um, so why don't we shift gears and let's talk about 2004 and that whole situation. If you wouldn't mind, uh, you know, I would say that uh, 95% of the people that listen to the show know sure. quite a bit about the, the whole Tic Tac Nimitz encounter. But I want to hear it from your perspective, if uh, you'd like to share it with us. You know, I've told it so many times now that I'm <laughs> going to tell it a little, but I'm going to tell it a little differently than, than, than I have in the past, because we've come so far now since 2004, and we've come so far in the last few years. We wouldn't be here without Kevin Day. If Senior yeah. Chief Kevin Day had not been paying attention and had not been a science fiction fan, like they muddied the water with Mr. Moultrie today, um, he might not have had the wherewithal to say anything. But he was, he was a dedicated senior chief petty officer. He was an incredibly consummate professional. And there was no way this guy was going to let it go, and he didn't. He faced ridicule on the, on the Princeton, even from his friends. We all gave him hell hell over this thing even the day that they finally sent the video over the first thing i said to him is kevin what the hell have you got me wasting my time chasing up there on the bridge and the night before i'd seen him in the sky myself you know and i'd seen him on radar and and everything else and even even back then i was still giving him help for it um so i I just wanted to come out and and say to to kevin i wanted to say thank you so much because you started the ball ball rolling on this in a modern fashion and i don't think we'd be here without him I want to say but, before you move on with, with Kevin, just real quickly, because I think it's interesting. Um, I had Robert Powell on a, a number of years ago and Kevin Day was watching that night and he wrote a comment. And before that, he was an unknown about this whole situation. And he wrote a comment and Robert Powell contacted me and said, he's connected with this guy that wrote a comment and he looks like he's legit that he has to do with the Nimitz. And I'm not saying I had anything to do with him coming out, but that's how yeah. he got in touch with Robert uh, Powell and how it went, how it kind of went from there. And uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Kevin's a great guy. He's taken this very emotionally. This has been a real emotional thing for him. And, you know, I, it, it kind of pains me to see how, um, how that has affected him, but um, I'm really glad yeah. he's, he's come out and talked about it. And, yeah, I uh, am too. Yeah. And you can move on. I'm sorry. I just want to put that. Oh, in. I okay. thought it was kind it's of okay. an interesting tidbit. Kevin's a great guy. He initiated me, initiated me as a chief petty officer. Um, he he helped mold me into the leader that I became. And this is an emotional subject for a lot of folks. Um, but 
I, I don't want to get into that aspect because I'm, I'm, I can dive down the emotional rabbit hole in a minute and you'll lose me for the rest of the show. So, <laughs> okay. um, mm-hmm. let me say that, uh, so, so thanks Kevin, seriously. Um, but, and beyond that, I want to thank Gary Voorhees cause I'll start telling the story now, but in, in 04, I was on board the USS Princeton. I was the chief master at arms. Um, when I first got the call that anything was going on, I was standing watch on the bridge as the conning officer and the junior officer of the deck when, when senior chief Kevin day called me on the telephone on the bridge and asked me to start moving the ship on certain vectors and certain courses to, to try to help him calibrate some stuff and figure out this anomaly they had in the system. And I wasn't paying too much attention to it. We just, I just did what he asked. Um, after a while he asked my lookouts or called me and said, Hey, have your lookouts, keep an eye out on these vectors for, for any lights in the sky or anything anomalous. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. Okay, sure. And, um, as time went by, as the days progressed over this week, um, he kept calling me more. Then we started talking about it in the chief's mess and talking about it on the bridge. And we found out that, you know, Gary Voorhees was running around rebooting radars and, and pulling tapes and, and doing all this stuff that I don't understand with, with his equipment. And as, as the course of days went by, this got more and more interesting. And Kevin got more and more serious about how he was guiding these efforts. And, Finally, the night before we saw the video, I'm not sure where in this uh, Commander Fravor was sortied and Commander Dietrich, Dietrich were sortied because um, I might have been in my rack at that time. I was I was working the night shift. But Kevin called me up on the bridge and asked me vehemently to take seriously that my lookouts keep their eyes out. So I, I really hadn't been. I'd been really involved in the exercise more. So I went out and told all the all my lookouts on the, on the sound powered phones and in those that I could reach in person that this was serious. And then I started looking too, cause I wasn't going to tell him to do it and go in and drink a cup of coffee. Um, so I grabbed some binos and started looking too. <coughs> and I was on the, the port bridge wing. Um, and when I started to scan from the beam up towards the, uh, up towards the forecastle, and up at about 45 degrees at around 2000 feet, at least that's what, that's the vector that it seemed to be. There were about five to seven, um, lights in the sky, excuse me, I'm reaching off camera, five to seven lights in the sky. And they were all moving clockwise towards the center of this formation. And one would start moving towards, it was almost like it was going down a funnel. Okay. It would, it would move towards the center and it would disappear. And then the next one would follow in and they all started moving and they were all gone. And I turned to the lookout next to me and using saltier language, I said, you know, did you see that? And he said, yes, chief, I did. And we kind of both just stood there looking back and forth for a minute. And then interestingly enough, I just went into the bridge and kind of looked around and it was late. Kevin wasn't on watch anymore. We had an exercise to do. So I just got back to work. Um, I know people might say, even, even other sailors might say, why didn't you make a log entry? It, it didn't make sense at the time to write in the, in the log five to seven lights in the sky in a circle pattern. And I know a lot of people are going to, going to say, but that's your job and everything else. But we were very stigmatized. Those weren't, whatever those were, I wasn't worried about them. Um, if they were either our aircraft or they were supposed to be there or they were something explainable, I really wasn't taking this idea of UFOs very seriously. Um, that all changed the next morning. We, I got up in the morning and went out for breakfast and Kevin was sitting there smiling this huge, huge infectious smile that he had because he smiles with his whole face <laughs> and his, uh, his, his partner and compatriot that, that he worked with 
sitting next to him was a very gruff, rough SOB. And uh, he was not smiling. And I, I said to Kevin, you know, what do you, what do you got me chasing around up there on the bridge? I was just giving him hell. It was breakfast. I hadn't had my coffee yet. And he's just smiling, just, just sitting there like this. And his, the other senior chief said, go, go check your effing email in the back, go check the zipper net. And I said, all right. So then I have a crowd of about four guys around me following me into the chief's lounge where I logged <laughs> onto the computer and just everybody coffee cup in hand, smiling, wait, can't wait to see my face when I see this. And it was a whole, it was a huge, holy crap moment. Um, I immediately knew I was looking at gun can, you know, I was like, this is a FLIR module. This is okay. I'm checking all the data in the corners. I'm like, what the hell is this? Did we sort the aircraft? What is it? What is that? What am I looking? You know, I knew immediately, just as everybody else, and everybody's nodding like this. This wasn't an aircraft. This was a tube. This was this was as we now call it a tic tac. Um, no wings, no rotors, no jets, no retro rockets, no no nothing. And you know, we're taking it all in at once, but we're watching altitude and vectoring and targeting and all of this stuff, and the thing goes. And I immediately turn around. I go, "That was that the camera, or did that thing zorch out of there like crazy?" And Kevin's just smiling. He's like, "It took off, bro. It took off." And you know, we're having that kind of conversation in the back. Um, the the day progressed. We had another exercise to do, but that evening we had an operations and intelligence briefing um, scheduled. Not interesting when doing exercises on the ship, nothing cool in there for the people that, that get triggered by the word intelligence or secret or stuff like that. Um, really the most secret thing we were going to talk about was the weather. And that always makes people laugh because you don't want the enemy to have a better look at the weather than you do. So that <laughs> that's often classified at a low level. Um, but we had our briefing that evening and it was, it was pretty much status quo, except for the fact that I had been asked to post up at the front door and, and or keep an eye at the, the, uh, the petty officer that was at the front door because they had a list of people's current clearances and whether somebody had a lapsed clearance or, or, or had the, the wrong clearance. And they just wanted to make sure that if anybody had beef with them or gave them a hard time and, you know, said, let me in any way that the, the sheriff would just go take care of it. Uh, we didn't have any issues, but that never became, it never became um, a valid point throughout the evening because we didn't address it. Um, when the, the briefing started, the captain, uh, basically the, the lieutenant that started hit the space bar on the old 2004 PowerPoints. Again, these weren't holograms and spaceships in 2004. We didn't even have iPhones back. We, I think we had just gotten <laughs> yeah. our iPods. But um, very primitive Mars attacks type um, saucer flies across the screen with a little spooky music. And half the room erupts in laughter and the other half turns and says, what are we laughing at? And, it, you know, the chatter settles for about 30 seconds and the captain says, well, we had an interesting week. That was a lot of fun. Let's move on. And that was it. Wow. And there was never any discussion about it afterward. We all still had the chain of emails in our, in our inbox. We all still had the video. No one ever said you can't show it. You can't send it. You can't share it. You, I mean, it was on the zipper net, so you couldn't take it with you. But it, we were never cautioned. It just never came up again. Now, could you send a, an email out of that supernet to uh, to another email? I mean, to a private email? Not to a unclassified email. No, I they, see. Uh, you, you can't. Oh, it doesn't. The, the lines don't cross like that. So I got it. Would it. Be a, yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, so, just a couple of things 
about this whole situation. First of all, when you say you went to breakfast, does that mean you joined him over at the Nimitz? No, none of us were on the none of us were on the Nimitz. Oh, I thought um, I thought we were, Kevin we were all on the was. US, okay. No, we were all on the U.S. That's Princeton. right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. I got it. The, so the pilots and P.J. Hughes were on the Nimitz. I got it. Right. I I just I just uh, misremembered that. Um, and the video that you looked at, did you see video that we have not seen? I saw exactly what we have today. Um, people may get confused because. I describe it a little bit differently. What they what they sent over to the USS Princeton was so there was a longer video than what we got on the Princeton, mm -hmm. but essentially this was what we got was the greatest hits spliced together. Every change in modality or anything that it so here's three seconds of it doing this, three seconds of it doing that, three seconds anything any change, they clipped it down to something that we could see and they could squirt over on via the old technology because again we I mean kilobytes would take an hour to download. Um, really? Wow. Yeah, it was really bad back then. It, it's not that we're so spoiled now. Um, <laughs> I, I can't even explain what it was like to leave for six months and honestly not communicate with your wife and kids at all. Um, <laughs> nowadays, you, you call them every night from the ship and you're on Facebook with them. So um, one of the things I've heard was, and I had someone on this show in particular that told me that he actually saw a clear video, not not the FLIR foot footage. Mm -hmm. Um, so did you ever, were you aware of that? So I never heard anything about any, any other video, excuse me, any other video the whole time I was on the ship. I didn't hear anything about that until after Lou came out and after we saw the other video and people have still claimed that. Now I will say this, the people who have claimed to have seen it claimed to have seen it in what's called the CES, the shipboard secure or shipboard signals exploitation space. And that was a space that was directly above my office. Um, it was a space that I had never been all the way into, even as the sheriff, since no crime had been committed beyond the black curtain in there, I'd never been past it and didn't need to be. Um, some folks allege they were hanging out back there. Uh, I won't get into the fact that they didn't belong in that space, but they claim that they saw longer videos. And I'm only talking about some specific folks, but they claim that they saw longer, clearer 4K videos. I, I have not, I've not been, when I have asked folks who are in the know, nope, just the gun camera footage. Um, I think people are, people may be misinterpreting the difference between, and I, I know people are going to think I'm really trying to make an excuse here, but I'm not. There's a big difference between a 450 kilobyte high def for 2004 video shown on a computer from 2004 than there is to a very low def video now in 2022 being shown on a retina display Macintosh. Um, mm -hmm. And your perception of what you're seeing <clears throat> is going to be very different. The television that I watched on black and white televisions and later on tiny color televisions <clears throat> seemed just as vibrant and amazing to me as my 60 inch plasma at the time. So mm -hmm. I, I I'm, I haven't seen any evidence of a of a more interesting video from 04. I'd love to see it if it exists. I'm not not trying to make that go away or make excuses, but I've never seen or heard anything official that says that there was one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's still with all the you know, like you mentioned earlier, David Fravor and Alex um Alex uh what's her last name? Dietrich. 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 Uh, with their testimony of what they saw, it, it's just amazing. And I got to say, you know, Commander Fravor, 
was extremely convincing. Mm-hmm. And every time I've heard him talk about it, uh, because he seems like a no nonsense type of guy. Mm-hmm. And why, you know, I mean, it seems like, for instance, why wouldn't the task force want to talk to him directly, you know, and ask him lots yeah. of questions yeah. and along with uh, Dietrich, you know, yeah. it seems like that would, that's a firsthand witness right there. I, I agree with you. And I, I think that what we have to look at there, if I'm being kind to the task force, the task force is two guys um, and then, a, a, you know, and a responsibility and a network um, that they're a lot that they can access. But sorry, I just had a really loud car start outside. Um, what we're, what we're also looking at here is, man, I'm sorry. The, the noise. Don't even hear it. House is Don't really even distract hear it. me. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I, I think I, that, that kind of canned my train of thought <laughs> as happens. Sometimes. All right. I was talking about Dietrich and yeah. Yeah. So what I see is, is I saw, I saw two people get an insane mission, get a limited time to do it. They weren't completely educated up to the point where they, they needed to be. They did the best they could in a short amount of time. I think that this these this first hearing and what we've seen, I, I think they'll get the feedback. I mean, yes. the, the fact that Representative Brichette immediately turned around and kind of called, you know, raised the BS flag was like, where's where are the pilots? Where are yes. the better, you know, mm-hmm. et cetera. Now it's up to them. It's up to them to follow on and, and fix those mistakes. The, the 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 task force and and the 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 leaders that are holding the hearings have an ability to make this right and make it right quickly in a way that's going to gain them a great deal of support. Um, right. I, I think they would get a groundswell of support from, from perhaps millions of people if they, if they actually produced something we could work on and gave us a viable timeline for, for what we can expect. But if they leave us in the dark piecemeal with these ad hoc hearings that, that they sprinkle throughout the future, I don't see folks just saying, okay, and going back to work. Um, there's a lot. I'm, there's a lot of money tied up in UAP right now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of people that have started companies and foundations and, and right. think tanks and and all of this stuff. It's all and exciting. Yeah, it's very exciting. But the question is, is who's gonna who's gonna get the mic? Um, mm-hmm. Is a mm-hmm. is a really good question. And are we gonna see narratives put forth? And are those narratives going to be narratives we all share and can understand together? Or are they just going to be aimed at markets that are going to fill coffers? Because we've seen that already. Well, I think you're making a very good point here. And why should anyone have a mic in particular? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. If this isn't for all of us, it's not going to be worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we we don't want and and, uh, unfortunately, a lot of things have to do with money. And if someone could cash in. Uh, that would be another thing that would happen. You could, I could see that. I want to go back to your briefing. Mm-hmm. So you had this briefing, and it was basically made fun of or something. It was how, mm-hmm. how did that how did that make everyone feel like you and Kevin Day that actually knew something was going on? It was really disappointing. Um, I, Kevin and I disagreed. I mean, I, I'm I'm saying this not as a memory of, of of a strong memory of us disagreeing, but just saying that in general at the time we disagreed because I just went up. Oh, well, that's that's DARPA or something. Then if, if hmm. we didn't care, it must be ours. And Kevin was like, "No way, man! I don't think it was." And hmm. you know, he thought it was something different. And I was, 
I was just as much into it as Kevin was, but I was mad. I just, I was, I was like, we really didn't care. I was like, what I just saw on that gun camera footage looks like it rivals all the stories we heard about Roswell. This should change the world. Mm -hmm. And everybody just kind of shrugged and went, yeah, probably not. (laughs) And, and that was it. I mean, I spent another year and a half on that ship after that. Here, really? So here's another oh, yeah. question that I've asked people like Kevin Day and all, 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 a lot of people I've had that were on the Nimitz have been on this show. And that is, uh, if they were seeing these things happening, they and and that it went to, and, oh, God, I can't remember what it's called. Uh, cap point? Yes, it went there, which is a huge mystery, how it knew exactly where that was. Mm-hmm. Um, all this is happening... Why wasn't there more investigation going on to what these things were? It seems to me, wow, this is such a strange technology. I don't under, I've never understood why the jets weren't constantly sent out to see what the heck is going on. I mean, is it because the training session has to be done just a certain way and no matter what happens? Or no, what? because we did we did sortie jets out to it. So, so the, the fact that we had a training exercise going on would, should not have, let me put it this way. If there were a thousand of them go, headed towards San Diego, I sure as heck hope we would have said something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but th- this is where we get back to the stigma. And I, I want to say this because there's, there's an aspect of gaslighting that, that goes around the stigma. But I think in a lot of, in a lot of cases here, what, people see as as purposeful and willful obfuscation by by authority you're dealing in a lot of cases with people's own ability to accept larger ideas um people in leadership and we see it going back to the the 50s and 60s with the subject to a certain extent um their own cultural overlay their own beliefs define as far as they can take this subject i always call it um taking an easy exit off the freeway. To me, the freeway goes all the way to the point where we can verify one of us shook hands and we can tell where these folks are from now and what they want. Um, Some people get off that freeway early. They say, well, to me, this looks like AI and I think I live in the matrix. So I'm going to get off the freeway here and I'm going to camp over here and that's what I'm going to talk about and work on. And other people are really interested in consciousness and other people are interested in, in purely in extraterrestrials from other physical planets and other people that are interested in multidimensional ideas and the future and eschatology and all of these things. What if it's all of these things all at once? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and that's the most likely truth to it. There's probably some veneer of truth underneath all of the nonsense. Um, how do we own this together? There's so few, we're not in a place yet. And I don't mean to sound negative, but we're not in a place yet where we can, where we all agree that we're all human or that we're all equal or that we deserve the same equity and, and equality. And so we're looking to something that we feel is larger to us. And we're looking to others to answer those questions, but we don't face the big questions in our own lives. And in general, I think that keeps people from getting to the end of the rainbow where they need to get with this, where we can make true and real progress. Because people are waiting to hear what they want to hear, as opposed to what it is. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, it's, uh, I think, 
as you just mentioned, I think that's why a number of people were a little bit disappointed. I mean, just from the amount, mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't know how many email I got today. I, I have to go through them, but it was a lot. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, some, uh, I'm sure I'm wish I had time to, to read them all, but I, I just haven't yet, but there was, there's probably some really good points in it because, you know, you have all these different eyes looking at what's going on and everyone has a different take or everyone's, you know, may see something that someone else didn't. And, uh, you know, which I think is, is, is fascinating. And it's been, uh, really, you know, very interesting talking to you today and because of your, um, you know, inside knowledge of not inside knowledge, but experience of what happened to you. And I heard you say on this other interview that I listened to that, and I, I would not be afraid to talk about this at all, that you think it may muddy the waters a little bit to talk about. You've had other experiences in your life. And uh, this is a show about UFOs. You're, yeah. you're safe here, safe here to talk yeah. about it. <laughs> I was so, I was going to say I'm not going to let you down on this one because your show is called Podcast UFO. <laughs> Come on, not UAP. I saw your, though. I saw your intro. I saw not your UAP. Intro. <laughs> <laughs> well, the intro and uh, and by the way, the intro is uh, um, was made. Someone sent that to me, and I am I am looking for another intro if anyone does that type of work. So, I mean, I've I like that my one tune but... a little bit. I've changed my tune a little bit. I used to be really hard on what I called nonsense iconography and things like that. But as as we get farther along, I think it's OK because things like that are OK. I had a friend of mine that was putting together an intro for a video he was doing. He said, do you think this is too much? And I said, as long as we all understand you're not presenting that as fact, you know, as, as if, if you're trying to show people a, you know, a baseline, hey, Here's what folks say they look like. This is just the intro to the show. You know what I mean? Like, like, like cut them some slack. So I've, I've kind of eased off on that a little bit. Um, yeah. I, I see some, I see, um, I see a change coming down the road for the way that, that experiencers, I'm not a giant fan of that word, but the way that experiencers and witnesses can come forth and, and share their stories and, and, and be taken seriously and be listened to and mm -hmm. add, add more information to the observational pool. Because honestly, the first line is, well, what, what's our takeaway from these experiences? There's a lot of people that are having these experiences and then, and then taking things away. So I want to say, first of all, I think that we're seeing a more, a more mature ecosystem for all of us to come out. But let me get to it because this is a UFO show and we should talk about UFOs. Um, <laughs> with, at the at the risk of sounding uh, hyperbolic, I've been ex I've been experiencing what we call a phenomena in one way, shape, or form for most of my life. Um, whether it was sightings in childhood, um, being at the 04 Tic Tac event, um, and things that have happened since then, uh, it's been a wide spectrum of things. Um, I've experienced the negative. I've experienced things that seemed overwhelmingly positive and things that seemed like it didn't even know I existed. Um, I had a, a black triangle incident uh, here in San Diego at here at my home. Um, it was at least 2000 feet across. Wow. It was moving in incredibly slow. It had no lights. Um, and I could 
hear the wind whistling over it. And then I watched it go overhead and tip on its side and move away at a velocity that was absolutely ridiculous. And I have to tell you that I live a mile north of a helicopter base, three miles south of, of SOCOM, six miles away from the fleet concentration center, and I'm surrounded by five airports, three of them international. Um, I'm in one of the biggest flight corridors in the world, and I've got three of them that come over my house. So every type of aircraft you can think of, I've seen. Um, I've guarded a B-2. Um, I've stood under them when they're flying at low altitude and landing. I know exactly what they look like and sound like. This was not a conventional aircraft. Whatever it was, it, it didn't work normal. Um, as far as lights in the sky and, and anomalous events, even in and around the house and the family, we've experienced those things too. Now, is this all in the San Diego area where you live? Yeah, I've been here since uh, 1998. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so the, the majority of those things... Well, no, I wouldn't say the majority of them were the, the triangle, the tic-tac, and, and most of the things I've seen in the last 20 years or so were here. Um, others were in Northern California, around San Francisco, and in Florida. Um, it, it's, it's very confusing to me because, and I, I know this surprises a lot of people when they find out, but I don't, I've been seeing this stuff my whole life, and I don't know what it is. And that's why I don't that's why I'm not so heavy on turning to the government going, tell us what this is, because I think you can keep seeing it and not know what it is. And so when there's people in the community that come to me and they want to tell me that they're from here, here's their message, here's their mission, you know, they get real specific with it. I'm not having that experience. Um, I have never met an alien that I can say or spoken to one. Now I have really interesting memories. Um, of events but for me those events are always punctuated by a sleep period so i personally don't take them always as as an experience um i'm still not exactly sure what i'm looking at and i mean since we already went there with the marvel universe stuff you know the doctor strange flick just came out could i be dreaming another sean who's cooler somewhere else maybe <laughs> um and i have to accept that i I don't know that I was away with, with the aliens last night doing cool stuff. Um, that might've been a different me somewhere. And I still got to get up in the morning, do the dishes and clean up the dog mess. So I really don't know. Um, and I'm not discounting anybody else's experience. Somebody who wakes up and has physical marks and has trauma and things like that. I'm just saying that's not my experience. So I know there's something going on. Um, I even went to therapy after I retired, I had a hard time taking my uniform off. There was a, uh -huh. I, I, I left something in that uniform and it was my courage and my wherewithal and my, you know, my get up and go. And I had to figure that out. But that happened in the middle of me meeting Lou and getting involved with this. And so I was lucky enough to have an open-minded therapist who was kind of a hippie, but she helped me through all this. And she's like, is it, you know, how much does it bother you? How much does it scare you? Is it, and she helped me realize that you're having an, a really interesting experience. And if it's not driving you batty, enjoy it. Hmm. And I decided at that point not to let it drive me batty anymore. Um, I decided not to be scared of it anymore. I decided, I, for a while there, I was, I mean, it's going to sound silly as a guy who was a cop, but I was walking around with at least a pocket knife for a while. And I, my wife asked me one day, she's like, who are you going to stab? 
a little a little uh-huh. gray dude you know like is that like like what are you gonna do and i was like you're right you're right what am i doing here i'm like i'm just afraid and without people are gonna probably want me to talk about this more but when i stop being afraid scary stuff stop happening hmm. so what do you do with that you know, I, I know we all have, I, of course, I could talk for an hour with you on a different show about frequency and vibration and meditation and fear and all that stuff. But since we're being kind of, you know, general in this and, and, talk, and on a day that was, that was very pragmatic, I don't want to go, go too into the weird, but there's a lot to this. There's, it's not just vehicles in the sky from somewhere else with cool dudes in it. There's aspects of psychotronics. There's aspects of non-linguistic programming there's aspects of of control around this subject that are frightening Mm -hmm. um and no those aren't ready for the hill today you don't start with those you know um but we're gonna have to get there someday have you ever have you ever this is fascinating have you ever looked into or heard about the ariel school incident i have um i i have actually kind of kept the aerial incident over here as if it's a, a, a prize that I don't want to know everything about because I enjoy it so much. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. sometimes you, you really dig into it and it loses all, it loses its gloss. It's still something I want to know more about that. I want to hear more from the witnesses. Um, well, they, the aerial phenomenon is coming out May 20th. It's on, it's on my yeah. website and I, I got to watch the screener on it and, it is my favorite movie on this topic. Really? It's really, That's... really good because it it's uh, it shows John Mack did a wonderful job interviewing these children. Really wonderful job. He was stellar at what he did and got so much information out of them at the right time. And then it follows them 20 years later when they're in their 20s and what that how it impacted their life. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's it's really moving. It's really, really a great, great video. I, I suggest anyone listening to this, um, you, you got to watch that movie. Um, it, yeah, that's, that's incredible. And, and what I was getting at when I first brought it up was, um, you know, there's, there's talk about telepathic. You talked about nonverbal communication or something like that. And I think that's kind of what you meant, which is all, all fascinating. And I remember asking, um, I remember asking Emily Trim, who was one of the people in that, um, what what was it like? What was it like for her? And she said it was like sending a link, a neuro link, like she could see like pictures, that type of thing. And that's how she got the communication, which wasn't all that good because it was about um, we're destroying our planet. Not exactly how to um, do anything to fix it. But just the fact that we are, mm-hmm. you know, and this is 1994. Yeah, we're still we're still doing it. I find it fascinating because it's. I think there's something about the phenomenon, especially in these more um, famous or impactful or, or perhaps understandable cases, the ones where we can at least see something we think we recognize. Um, there's a lot of personal choice. It seems to be. And I have to say that I've had people try to paint my experience in Opal because of who I am now, because mm-hmm. of the way that I present myself. They make an assumption that I had an, a spiritual awakening in 2004, and I didn't. Um, this step 
the 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 Tic Tac stepped on the air supply of my spirituality. Um, me seeing it as a as a possible government program or, or DARPA or our tech, and the way we reacted kind of popped my my mystical bubble at the time, and I had it. I was done. Um, I, I wasn't going to wonder and dream and look up and and think anymore. And in, in fact, uh, being completely honest, my daughter suffered over the years because that was during the Harry Potter craze. And I was like, Harry Potter's nonsense. There's no magic. Um, it's really, I'm really sad about it looking back because I feel, I told her, I said, I feel like I stole something from your childhood by not being there with you for that stuff. And, and what, ma what made you, what made you more or less bitter about it was the fact that it was like being made little of. I've learned about myself over the years that I don't like I don't like being told we're having ice cream after dinner and then we're having pie. I get really angry. I'm not happy it. with the pie. I, I want the it. thing you said that I was going to have. And so I know that looking back, I think what happened was I got my hopes up really, really big and then nothing happened. And so I stumped. I took my ball and went home mm -hmm. um, in a lot of ways. And that almost killed me. I mean, that that paradigm shift in my thinking led to my heart attack. Uh, at 37 a few years later oh jeez and that material look at the you know i became a materialist very quickly mm. um and it was bad it was bad news um since then no i'm in my private life i'm i'm the woo woo guy over in the corner um i'm i'm the hippie wearing probably only a pair of shorts or, or a sarong or something like that but but this is this is the most fascinating subject and spectrum of ideas that I've encountered in my entire life. Yes. And I, I feel very fortunate to have had almost every flavor of it so far up until this point. And I don't know that if I could, I could be here with my thoughts and feelings, et cetera, as I am, if not for having experienced the bad and the good. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta experience it all to understand the the polar opposites really yeah yeah well i i gotta tell you this has been um we only have a couple minutes left but uh you're an amazing guest and uh, i just want to say that you're if you want to come on every week <laughs> you're you're welcome it's been really uh really fantastic you're really easy to talk to you ask really good questions i love watching your show i can't i couldn't commit to every week but uh, i would love to come back and talk to you again most definitely yeah. it was really well, a pleasure to speak to you great great and um so what where do you think uh, like i said we got we got about three minutes so yeah where do you think um what do you think you're going to be doing in the future when it comes to this topic well, we um, we decided to to dissolve the LLC of our business. Uh, we had considered for for a period of time um, entering into the, the the you know the business portion of this because um, let's be real, you, you can only get so far um, you know being pro bono. Mm -hmm. um, but with the dissolving of the business, I've decided that I'm just going to kind of wing it. Um, I've I've got a few irons in the fire, as people like to say, as far as helping communicate this subject in a, in a different manner i've been approached by um after now after a couple of years that some there have been some offers come in that look like they would be very helpful to the community not just helpful to me and my family um may i make a tough. suggestion yes i would love to make a suggestion to you um are you familiar with stanton friedman i am yes now Stanton friedman went around all these colleges and places like that and and spoke about mm -hmm. this topic 
I think you would be perfect at that. Thank you. Thank you very much. And um, I just think you would, the way you present yourself, your authenticity, the whole deal, um, it would really be great. But uh, thank you. Uh, and someone just wrote, thank you for your service. Yes. Thank you. That, that was my pleasure. That, and, and I, I appreciate it when people thank me for that, but I volunteered each time and that, that was, it was my pleasure to serve alongside the folks that I did. So it, it was not a sacrifice to, it was a sacrifice for my family, but for me, it was a pleasure for 20 years. Wow. Uh, Sean, where can someone reach you? Do you want people to reach you? <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough question. Um, I've become, I've, I've never been in demand in my life unless I was in trouble. Um, and so at, at this moment, I, I'm on about a three day turnaround to even answer friends and family, um, because I'm so overwhelmed, but I do want people to reach out. They can find me at, um, at mintyhyperspace.com. I have some of my older interviews archived there, some articles and other things, but they can write me directly at mintyhyperspace at gmail.com. And that's two words, minty and hyperspace, uh, in case I, I muddled it up. But I would, I would love for people to reach out to me. If I'm slow turning around, I try to answer everybody. I don't get to. Um, but it, it's been incredible the last three years. The amount of support that we've gotten has been incredibly overwhelming. I've never, I've never seen this much selflessness and support in, in any way in my life. And between you and me, we may spend time complaining about the trolls and, and those who want to, you know, jump from detail to detail hoping to make a name for themselves but the fact is is the community has been overwhelmingly supportive and i i have not been able to find a way to say thanks properly for the amount of support we've got well you just did tonight so thank you so much sean it's been my absolute pleasure to talk to you thank you martin it was very mutual all right take care all right everyone so we'll be back next week with mario woods and i think he had to do with rendlesham force um thank you so much for uh, staying tuned tonight and remember to keep your eyes to the sky.